All right, Galatians chapter 1. Let's read verses 11 through 14. To begin with, Galatians 1, verses 11 through 14. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Yeshua Messiah. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of the Almighty beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. We've made it up to verse 14 in Galatians. And I hope that you're learning some things. Because I know that I sure am learning some things in my studies. And I absolutely love it. It's right there at the top of my list of favorite things. When through studying and restudying and examination and meditation the picture that you're looking at gets more and more clear. I love it. I love to be corrected. I love for Yahweh to show me where I was looking at something incorrectly and to reveal to me a deeper understanding and a clearer understanding of Scripture. And I want to remind everybody in here that your understanding of Scripture or the Scriptures as a whole can become clearer. But, it will take time and it will take effort on your part. It's not going to become clearer by just the Bible sitting there on the coffee table or on the bookshelf. It will take time, it will take effort. But it will become clearer, I promise you, if you put in the time and the effort. It takes dedication and commitment to wanting to know what the text means. And the scripture says that Yahweh will reward those who diligently seek Him. That's a promise. So, in our last lesson, I talked about how that Paul received the gospel. The good news. It wasn't the normal way that people received the gospel. Paul didn't hear a preacher. Paul wasn't witnessed to by an existing apostle. Paul was not taught the gospel by man. He received it by a direct revelation from Yeshua the Messiah. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. And one of the ways that people could be assured of this was Paul's former life. He was Shaul the Pharisee. His manner of life inside of the umbrella of Judaism was one that had a zeal for what he believed to be right. Saul thought that he was pleasing the mighty one of Abraham by locking up followers of the Messiah in prison, beating some, and stoning others. Well, this lets us know that there's no way that he got his gospel from any of them because he hated all of them and he wanted to completely destroy their sect from the face of the earth. But we didn't make it through verse 14 last week. We made it up through verse 13. But 14 is where Paul continues to explain what he was doing prior to his revelation of the Messiah on the road to Damascus. 1 and 14 says again, Paul writes, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, 
being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Now, to begin with, this verse speaks to what I ended with last week. Saul's former life was one of esteem and honor among his peers. He was not persecuted in his former life. He was honored in his former life. I believe through my studies that he was moving towards a top seat on the Supreme Court in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. I don't believe he had gotten there yet, but I believe that's what he was moving towards. He was advancing towards that. And his contemporaries in verse 14 is a reference to people of his maturity or his age. It would be like us mentioning a man's colleagues. Paul was going beyond men of his age among his countrymen or his kinsmen. He was excelling above his contemporaries. I believe this is what Paul means in Philippians 3 as well, where he doesn't just call himself a Hebrew, but he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was at the top of his class. Now what was Paul advancing in? Well, he tells us here in verse 14, in Judaism, and I want to delve into that word a bit deeper than we did last week. We're going to understand the term Judaism. I want you to remember how that I mentioned in the last lesson that the word Judaism or Judaism, literally Yehuda slash ism, in its first century usage is not a bad word. Now, I had to correct my own misunderstanding of this word because I've learned now that it was a word back then that was used as an umbrella for the faith of the Yehudim or the Judahites in the first century. There were many sects or divisions that fell under the term Judaism, including the sect of the Nazarenes. Acts chapter 24 verse 5. The sect of the Nazarenes was an early phrase that described the followers of Yeshua of Nazareth. So Yeshua's followers, the apostles themselves, practiced Judaism. Now, what is interesting here is that in the entire New Testament, the word Judaism is only used twice. And both of those times are here in Galatians 1. (laughs) So that means we have nothing else in the New Testament to compare the word with. See, when you study the New Testament, one of the things you study is word usage and word meanings. And the way you do that, or a primary way you do that, is let's say you find a particular word that Paul uses in the book of Galatians. And in order to see what he meant by that word, you would first look at everywhere that Paul used that word in the book of Galatians. And you'd compare them with one another to see the meaning of the word. What's called in theology the semantic domain of the word. After that, you might branch out to see how Paul uses that same word in other epistles like Corinthians or Ephesians or Thessalonians. And after that, you might see how the other authors in the New Testament use that same word. And after that, you might go outside of the New Testament into Greek literature and see how non-biblical authors use that same word. Well, with the word Eudaismos, Judah, Yehudaism, We have nothing else in the New Testament to compare it with. All we have is a reference by Paul, how that prior to his encounter with Yeshua of Nazareth, he was advancing in this particular faith over those of his same class, his contemporaries. 
Now, I can see how someone can read the word Judaism in Galatians 1, and with the understanding of 21st century Judaism, they might think Judaism is a bad word. And I can see how a Christian today might think that Judaism is the opposite of Christianity. But I want you to remember, take your mind back to the first century. There was no Christianity. The Christianity as we know it today did not exist back in the first century. You couldn't drive up the road and see the Baptist church on one side of the street and the Methodist on the other. Or the sacred name church on the dirt road. You didn't see that. It didn't exist like it does now, see. Even the believers in Yeshua were part of Judaism. All the believers, the first followers of Yeshua, were all Torah observant Judahites or proselytes to the Judahite faith. Now, to further show that Judaism is not a bad word, I want to take you to a book outside of the New Testament and a book that's inside of something known as the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanon. The word Apocrypha is a word that means to hide away or hidden. There's a set of books known by this word Apocrypha because a large portion in Christianity, Protestantism, have rejected these as Scripture. Now the Catholic and the Orthodox churches, on the other hand, refer to this set of books as the Deuterocanon, meaning literally the second canon. Deutero means second. Canon is like a measurement, a standard. The original 1611 King James Version of the Bible, the picture that you see on the screen, it's a copy of that, the first King James Version to ever be printed, most people have never held one or even a facsimile of one in their hands, that King James Version contained these books that we call the Apocrypha in the Bible. And the Greek Septuagint also contains these books within the Bible. Many Protestants today who do not see these books as authoritative as, let's say, Isaiah or Jeremiah, they still see and view these books as important historical literature. Books that we can glean from. Books that add clarity to certain parts of the Bible. These books, known as the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanon, were written in the time period between the prophet Malachi and the prophet Yohanan John the Baptizer during the Second Temple period. And one set of books within these books are called the books of the Maccabees. Now, I bring up the books of the Maccabees because they contain four uses of the word eudaismos in Greek, which means we have an earlier document than the book of Galatians to see previous uses of this word, Judaism. The accounts in Maccabees took place before Yeshua was ever born in Bethlehem. Maccabees took place in the B.C. era, before Christ. And they're named after a Yehudim, a Judahite, who was known as Judah Maccabee, which means Judah the Hammer. He was called the Hammer because he had such zeal for his faith. The first use of the word Judaism in Maccabees is found in 2 Maccabees 2, 19-23. And I'm using the New Revised Standard Version here because it contains the Deuterocanon or the Apocrypha. So let's read that. And we'll keep in mind that this is the first known use of the word in any ancient literature that we have available today. 2 Maccabees 2, 19-23. The story of Judah, Maccabeus, and his brothers. 
and the purification of the great temple. I've emboldened some of these important phrases in the verses. Think about this. The purification of the great temple and the dedication of the altar and further the wars against Antiochus Epiphanes. If you know your history, you know that Antiochus Epiphanes was a wicked man, unrepentant wicked man, hated the Torah, hated Yahweh. He even commanded, according to history, he was the first to ever give the command not to utter or to speak the sacred name of Yahweh. This is actually in the Jewish Encyclopedia. So this is talking about the wars against Antiochus Epiphanes and his son Eupator. Verse 21, And the appearances that came from heaven to those who fought bravely for Judaism, Judaismos in Greek, so that, though few in number, they seized the whole land and pursued the barbarian hordes. 22, And regained possession of the temple, famous throughout the world, and liberated the city, and reestablished the laws that were about to be abolished, while the Lord with great kindness became gracious to them. Who was wanting to abolish the laws? Antiochus Epiphanes. Who was wanting to reestablish the laws? Well, Judah Maccabees was one of the guys that wanted to reestablish the laws. And verse 21 says he was fighting and doing this bravely for Eudaismos, Yehudaism. Verse 23, all this which has been set forth by Jason of Cyrene in five volumes we shall attempt to condense into a single book. Now, all of these things that I just highlighted are associated here with Judaism. Brothers and sisters, the purification of the temple, the reestablishment of the Torah that Antiochus was so against, these are great things in the sight of Yahweh. These are not bad things. Fighting bravely for Judaism here equals fighting bravely for the Torah. So this Maccabean text places Judaism in what we would see as a positive light in the B.C. era. Next text, 2 Maccabees 8, 1 through 4. It says, Meanwhile, Judah who was also called Maccabee, and his companions, secretly entered the villages and summoned their kindred and enlisted those who had continued in Judaism. And so they gathered about 6,000. They implored the Lord to look upon the people who were oppressed by all and to have pity on the temple that had been profaned by the heathen. To have mercy on the city that was being destroyed, that's Jerusalem and about to be leveled to the ground, to hearken to the blood that cried out to him, to remember also the lawless destruction of the innocent babies and the blasphemies committed against his name. That's talking about the sacred name. And to show his hatred of evil. Now all of these things I just highlighted here, once again, they're righteous things. They're Torah observant things. And they're associated with this use of these men that continued in Judaism. Next text, 2 Maccabees 14, 37 through 39. It says, A certain Razis, one of the elders of Jerusalem, was denounced to Nicanor as a man who loved his compatriots and was very well thought of and for his goodwill was called the father of the Jews. In former times when there was no mingling with the Gentiles, he had been accused of Judaism. And he had most zealously risked body and life for Judaism. Nicanor, wishing to exhibit the enmity that he had for the Jews, sent more than 500 soldiers to arrest him. 
Again, we have a use, a B.C. use of the term Judaism that is the antithesis of heathenism. This man named Razis was an elder in Jerusalem and he loved his fellow countrymen. He was known as the father of the Jews, or more correctly, the father of the Yehudim. That would be the Hebrew term. The reason he was called the father of the Yehudim was because the title father carries with it the meaning of prestige, honor, and respect. It wasn't that all of his companions or his countrymen were his sons, but they called him father because they were respecting him and honoring him. Judaism is here used as a contrast to the heathens. One more text in 4th Maccabees, chapter 4, 23 through 26. Great text here. After he, that he there in context, by the way, you can go read it, that's Antiochus. After he had defeated them, that's the Yehudim, he gave an order that anyone who was caught following the traditional Jewish law should be put to death. However, his orders had no effect on the people's commitment to keep the law. Now that should tell us these people were dedicated to Yahweh. We have a ruler, one with authority, commanding, if we find any of you, Yehudim, observing the law, the Torah, we're going to put you to death. And then they hear about it, but they don't stop observing. They continue on in their obedience. That's dedication. He saw that they simply ignored his threats and punishments. Even women were thrown down from a cliff head first along with their infants because they continued to circumcise their sons. You know, that was one of the things that Antiochus commanded against. He said, we don't want anybody circumcising their sons, which is in the law of Yahweh, right? On the eighth day, you circumcise the, the male child. Well, Antiochus said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to kill you if you do that. The women said, it doesn't matter. We're going to follow the law. We're still going to circumcise our infants. And they were killed for their dedication to the law. It says, though they were fully aware that they would suffer the consequences. When Antiochus saw how his orders were despised, he himself tried to use torture to force each and every person in the nation to give up Judaism by eating foods that were unacceptable to the Yehudim or to the Jews. Now here again, I believe it's very clear, it's crystal clear, that these references to Judaism are references that we would all consider quite noble. Circumcising your sons. Not eating unclean meats. These are parts of our Torah observance, right? These are noble things. These people died because they continued to do this. They knew they would suffer the consequences, but they said, we're going to love Yahweh and obey Yahweh rather than man. So Judaism is best described as contrasted with heathenism in the books of the Maccabees. Judaism is the way of life for the people of Judah. That's the best definition of it. Heathenism is the way of life for the heathens. (laughs) Everything contrary to the laws of Yahweh. So this should give us some fresh light on verse 14. That's why I bring all of this up, because we're studying Galatians. It shines a brighter light on Galatians 1.14 where Paul says he was advancing in Judaism beyond the countrymen of his own age. I think that Christians today read this verse and they think this. Well, that's what he used to do. But he gave all of that up and he became a Christian. Took his robe off, put it in the wardrobe and put on a suit and a tie and went to Sunday church. I think that's what's in people's minds. I really do. I know that seems humorous. 
But I think that's what's in people's minds. They think Paul stopped all that and he became a, a Sunday churchgoer. That's not what the text is teaching at all. That's not Paul's point at all. As we learned last week, what Paul gave up was being a persecutor. He persecuted the believers in Yeshua. And he became, he gave that up, and he became the persecuted. He gave up this great life that he had of esteem for a life of poverty and persecution. That lets you know that his faith was real. He gave up not believing that Yeshua of Nazareth was the promised Messiah to, yes, I now do believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. But you know what? Even after his conversion to belief in the Messiah, he still practiced Judah, Yehudaism, the way of life of the Judahites. Except now he had a different focus. His focus was upon Yeshua instead of not as before. So Paul's description of himself in verse 14 is not so much a negative description of what he was advancing in. Paul is rather just writing about what was going on in his life at the time that he was converted to the Messiah. He was busy making progress in his faith. He was not thinking about Yeshua of Nazareth. He was not even contemplating that he possibly might be the Messiah. What he was busy doing was studying and practicing the faith of his ancestors some of whom were the faithful Yehudim in the books of the Maccabees. What we should be seeing then is this. Yeshua did not knock Shaul down on his way to Damascus to tell him to stop studying the Torah or to stop practicing the Torah. That was not why the Messiah knocked him down. It wasn't. Yeshua did not tell Shaul, you can quit keeping the Sabbath now because you can rest every day in me. No, that's not what he told him. He said, Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? Because in persecuting the the followers of Yeshua, they were in, in essence persecuting the Messiah himself. So the message that Shaul was given by Yeshua was one which says this, You've gotten involved with the wrong crowd in Judaism. You've gotten involved with the wrong sect under the umbrella. The true people of Judah, the true Judaism, the true way of life of Judah are the ones that are following me, Shaul. So why are you persecuting me? After Shaul encountered Yeshua, Yeshua sent him to a man named Hananiah. We know him in our English Bibles as Ananias. That wasn't his name. His name was Kanani. It means the favor of Yah or the grace of Yah. And in Acts 22, 10 through 13, as we close, we read this. And I said, this is Paul speaking, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me. And came into Damascus. And a certain Hananiah, Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken by all the Yehudim or the Jews who lived there. Yeshua sent Shaul, after his encounter on the road to Damascus, he sent Shaul to a man who was devout 
by the standard of Yahweh's law. And a man who had a good reputation with all of the Judahites that lived in that area. Brothers and sisters, that should jump off the page at you and let you know that when the Messiah knocks Saul down, he wasn't knocking him down to tell him you don't need to be concerned with the law. The first person he was sent to was devout according to the standard of the law. I hope you catch that. So, Hananiah came to Saul and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I look up or looked up at him. Yeshua sent Shaul straight to a man who obeyed Yahweh's law. A man who practiced, catch this, Hananiah and Ananias practiced Judaism, the way of life for the people of Judah. And he also believed that Yeshua was the promised Messiah, the risen Lord. See, Yeshua was not asking Shaul to change his religion altogether. When Saul was converted, he didn't give up everything that he knew and believed in. No, there was a few things that he had gotten wrong. They were big ones, but there was a few things he had gotten wrong. And Yeshua was showing Saul that he was involved in an erroneous expression of Judaism. The true Judaism was found in following Yeshua. So that will close out for today and we'll pick this back up next week. And I still have not covered everything that I'd like to in verse 14. So we're going to be in verse 14 again next week. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again thanking you for your mercy, thanking you for not dealing with us as we deserve. Father Yahweh, I pray that we will be open to being corrected by your word. I'm thankful that you have readjusted my mindset on some key terms. And Yahweh, I'm thankful also for the Apocrypha, the Deuterocanon, that we can learn that history and, and study that and glean from that. Father Yahweh, let us respect you. Let us also respect your son. and Let us respect his apostle, the apostle Saul. We glorify you and we praise you. It's through your son. Amen.